an artist with a fascination for old trucks. A certainly odd combo, but for Brandon Swenson, her old trucks became a pivotal force in finding her creative voice. Her story will inspire you to believe in your gifts, to embrace a negative voice, and use it to work in your favor. She is a force in the art world as an artist, teacher, juror, and respected practitioner of watercolor evidenced by the countless recognition and exhibits under her belt. Want to learn more? Then tune in as we dive into the basic essentials to get you started in sketching. The secret to finding your own style. Why light is an important element for your painting. Finding art and beauty in imperfections. Pressing the reset button to establish focus. And the art of illustrated journal. If you want to be part of the conversation, then send in your questions and topics you want us to cover to hello at etcherlab.com. Hey, this is Jessie from Etcher. We believe in your power to create, so we invited artists from all around the globe to inspire you to keep on creating. Join us in this journey and let's celebrate creativity. This is Make More Art, the podcast. Talk about your journey at first, how you started. I, I mean, I've seen videos of you talking about your journey. You started at a pretty young age, but I would like you to take our audience through your journey of how you started with art. Okay. Very good. How much time we got? <laughs> <laughs> I could listen to you all day, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was, it was definitely started like everybody else, very young. Hmm. And um, I don't know if you want me to go into it now or just wait, but um, it it was a journey I think, like many children have, that they um, that they love art, that there's something that just resonated in them. And I knew in in me that when I painted or I drew, there was something special that existed in me. And I knew that some of my friends were really good with singing or dancing or doing stuff like that. But I knew that really wasn't me. Hmm. And the art became kind of a way to have a voice. Okay. Hmm. And a voice is a big thing that I like to talk about. Voice is also technique and how we're being recognized with our artwork. But with me, that the art, I knew through images and words, I could say more than I could just by saying it aloud. Hmm. And it wasn't until I was about maybe eight years old that I realized for the first time that you could actually have a career as an artist. And I was sitting in the back seat of a station wagon going down the freeway and I saw this big, you know, signage that talked about go to school to be a professional artist. And I thought, wow, I mean, I mean, because my sister was going to be a nurse, the other one was going to be a writer and I could actually be an artist. And so I chimed up in the back seat and I said, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to be an artist. Hmm. And a step parent turned around and looked at me and said, that's much too difficult, Brenda, find something else. And so then I kind of went, wow, the one thing in me that's special isn't good enough. Hmm. So it kind of got put aside. And so I just, you know, I did it in school and stuff and I loved it, but I, I just kind of lost that gold to me that that was what made me special Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until my mid-20s when i got married for the second time 
and a husband who encouraged and nurtured that. And then I started going to the local community colleges and, and it just took off very quickly from there. But yeah, it's people can hurt people by what they say. And so I'm very, very careful when I teach that you can damage somebody. That's a really good point. And thank you for sharing that story and be, being vulnerable enough to share that side of your story growing up and having that dream and finding that goal, like what you mentioned of, this is me, this is what I want to do at a tender young age, of eight, right? And you mm-hmm. know exactly what you want to do. But you're absolutely right about, you know, sometimes when we have our own dreams and then someone maybe unintentionally may say something that could really shatter that. But I'm glad that you found someone, your husband, you said, who supported you. I mean, from eight to mid-20s, that is a huge gap of not doing art. But Well, and I did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I still did it. But it there was something that it took that feeling away that I thought Uh that that was what was special in me. Mm-hmm. It took that away. And, yeah. you know, that that was something that was, um, I mean, I still went on and I took art classes yeah. and I took crafts classes, but I never thought it was anything that could be more than just a hobby. It wouldn't be uh-huh. anything more special than that. Mm-hmm. And now to be in this place in my life where I teach workshops nationwide and abroad, you know, I'm constantly on the move. I'm during international shows. It's just... You know, this, from what I was told that I wasn't good enough for, yes, I was, you know? Absolutely. Maybe because when I went to school, I was afraid that I would find out that she was right and I wasn't good Uh enough. Mm -hmm. So I may have worked harder than others, Mm -hmm. right? Because I couldn't have that be the truth. Right. So, Yeah. And I'm glad that you did. I'm glad that you didn't stop and that you didn't allow that. You know, sometimes it could be just something that like a nagging feeling on your shoulder that you have to prove yourself because someone said that you're not enough. But I think over the years of you doing art, that mindset shifted because you kept talking about the voice. And from, from what I've read and watched some videos of you, you mentioned earlier, that's a huge thing for you that you talk about. Yeah. In your mid-20s, when you start, when you finally started embracing fully um, art, when did, would you say oh. that when you realized that you found that voice, that you knew exactly what medium to use, what style, and what it is that you really want to do with art? Wow, when did I, you know what, um, this wasn't a path I set for myself. Okay. Mm-hmm. There were opportunities that happened and there were doors that opened and mm-hmm. I was just excited enough to step through and find out what would happen. Okay. So, you know, even though I, I started taking a lot of art classes, I, started, I was taking oil, I was mm-hmm. taking illustration, I was taking design, I was taking graphic design. I was doing all of these courses. None of them were watercolor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. Okay. And then it wasn't until I basically exhausted all the classes I could that I finally took a watercolor class. And it was so bad (laughs) that I didn't try watercolor again for three years. Wow, really? That bad. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, I, I had come to the class so excited. I bought all the colors. I laid every color out of my palette. And the teacher was having, this was her social group. And she had all of her friends in there that she was visiting with. Didn't say anything to me. Hmm. And when the class was over, I went into the kitchen to clean up my palette. Coming from the acrylic background, I washed all the paint off my palette. And she walks up behind me and she yells, she said, what are you doing? And I like, okay, obviously it's not right. What I was doing was wrong. So, I mean, I was just, and she just wasn't much more of a motivator. I mean, she was there for her social element and she really wasn't serious about teaching. Hmm. So took a few more years. Then I found, I mean, I was taking other art classes, but when I found a watercolor teacher, I fell in love with her. Her name was Verna Wells. Hmm. It was just a little terror with high heeled boots and <laughs> very blonde hair. She was probably about yay tall to me and a little fighting Irish. She was just a little terror of the, the college and I loved her. Hmm. And she saw something in me and I wanted to be as good as she said I was. So that, you know, I find that's powerful is when somebody believes in you, you want to rise to that. And I think that is what a really good teacher is. So just took a lot of classes with her. Um, when I had exhausted, not exhausted, I mean, she and I were friends for a long time after that. Mm -hmm. Must have taken her classes for three years at the community college. Oh, wow. So as independent studies. Mm -hmm. um, but through that class, I met people that said, do you ever go to these art club meetings? And I thought, the oh, what? No. There's meetings? <laughs> <laughs> and then that just took me right into this world of being surrounded by other painters, mm -hmm. sketchers. And it was like I found my people. You know, it was like we all spoke the same language. We, mm -hmm. it's really neat. So that in itself um, took me into instantly being, I was on the board of Watercolor West, which we had talked about being, me being a master mm -hmm. uh, painter there. Shortly after that, I was on the board of the National Watercolor Society as the exhibition director. I mean, I got so involved and I was on three boards at once where I was just over involved, right? <laughs> And I still had kids, you know, they were in elementary school and I had all of this going on. So, you know, I, I did my time and then I had to kind of step back because mm. if you're so busy doing for others, then you're not taking care of what you need to do. And I needed to paint. Yeah. I needed to feed this, this spirit, this. And so, and it didn't take very long that I was being invited to start teaching and scared me to death. I first day that I did a live demo, I thought I was going to throw up. Mm -hmm. I was so afraid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's uh, and even now, every time that I get up to do a live demo, I have that nervousness, not as bad, but I know that it's adrenaline and the adrenaline is now my friend because it makes me sharp. It makes me to be right on. Okay. So after like 20 years of teaching live, I've figured out that how to channel that energy kind of be able to push it down mm -hmm. and use it because adrenaline, many professional speakers will say, when you stop getting nervous, it's time to stop. 
speaking because you've lost it. You no longer have that heart. So I love it. You know, I, I use it to my advantage mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, so it's, it's okay to have those nerves. It's part of being human. A lot of good points with what you shared, uh, Brenda. First off was that you found a network. I mm -hmm. think that really helped you to pursue and embrace art more. And you've worn different hats into the art world. You mentioned being part of, for sitting in the board of directors for several mm -hmm. years, three at a time. Well, it's yeah. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And then, but eventually taking the step back, knowing that I want to do something for myself. I want to feed that desire to pain. And then you started teaching. And did you say 20 years of teaching? Yeah. Wow. So I've been, and when you started out, you know, they're mostly just local. They're small mm -hmm. groups and they're um, just, and that's where you start. You, yeah. you have to build up your craft. Mm -hmm. And what I did is that I developed a way of teaching that I wish somebody would have taught me. Oh to say it, to show it, and then to do it. So if you, if you, go, if you go through the process of I do, you do, we do. Mm -hmm. I do, you do, we do. Mm -hmm. And we're not all doing the same painting, but what it is is that we can, painting is a very complex thing when you're thinking of everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And you need to give people enough time to process the chunks as they come to them. Otherwise, they're just mimicking you and they're not knowing why they're doing what they're doing. So I love to teach. Yeah. Say, show, and do. I think that yeah. those are the three things that I picked up. The point that you made about um, you managed to create this teaching style wherein you position yourself as someone who is learning as well. I think that's a huge factor as to how you develop your teaching style. And wow, 20 years, right? Um, when the pandemic hit and I mean you've done a lot of like um like face-to-face -face. how did you transition that because doing face-to-face -face definitely is so different from you know virtual workshops or teaching how did you transition to that? I don't teach virtually you don't mm -hmm. yeah I don't teach virtually no mm -hmm. um the um now to this point okay huh. to this point where the release of my new video, there's a mentorship program that will be live. Okay. Component of that. But up to this point, you know, there was so many things going on and yeah. not to be, you know, I knew that I could either, I mean, there was like this bandwagon of everybody was getting online, everybody was teaching and not everybody should have been teaching. Okay. I've spent a long time honing my craft and I know that when I am standing next to a person when I am doing something I can look in their eyes and I know whether or not they really understand what I'm saying mm. I can walk around I can look at the shine on their paper I can see how much pain is going on that brush that is that is how I like to teach I would rather teach to three than to take teach to 50 live on zoom it's for me it is that human connection it's not the masses okay it's a totally different the reason that i do it is that it fills something in me mm -hmm. that i need to be giving to others and yeah the money of course i mean we 
we need money to live. We need to pay our rent. But I chose to step back and not mm -hmm. teach online. It was a very, very conscious decision. And I was contacted by a lot of people, a mm -hmm. lot of people. And I was even, you know, you need to do this for us, for us Brenda. And I'm like, mm, I've got to take care of me right now. And during the time of the pandemic, I mean, we, we lost three parents, not to COVID, but to older age. And so I had my family that I needed to be focusing on during this time. So I stepped back to focus on what needed to be taken care of here as a healthy person in my family. But also I used the time, and this was really valuable, is that I went through all of my curriculum. I teach sketching, mm -hmm. illustrated journal, negative painting, and plein air painting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I went through all of my curriculum, everything just gleaned everything out of it that I felt that needed to go away. I kept some stuff. I've revamped the way that I'm working. And not only the teaching, but as far as my own work, mm -hmm. I was teaching up to 18 workshops a year, okay? Mm -hmm. And I don't teach in November and December. Mm -hmm. All those were taking me away from home. You know, I was pushing really, really hard. And something happened when the pandemic hit and it allowed me to hit a reset button. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, when your computer kind of goes spiraling off. Yeah. And you can hit the reset button and everything comes back to where it needs to be. And mm -hmm. actually the pandemic allowed me to do that. Okay. Okay. So I started focusing on my craft. I was traveling so much. I wasn't focusing on my work mm -hmm. again. I got too busy. Just like when I was volunteering, my work got better. I was planning as I went forward to teach, what was I going to teach? How was I going to do it differently? So yeah, as bad as the pandemic was, I chose to kind of focus on a few different things. Thank you, Brenda. I specifically like the fact when you mentioned reset and mm -hmm. given the number of years that you've been doing teaching and painting, hitting that reset button or the pandemic allowing you to, to press reset, I think what, what uh, one thing that I got from, from what you just shared as well was balance, uh, finding that balance. And I think that's really important um, to be able to recollect yourself and find that balance so that you, you kept mentioning this as well. You take care of you, you'll be able to take care of others. And in your line of work, I think that's really important, especially that you are teaching something to someone, balance and having be able to gather yourself fully. I think that's very important. Yeah. You, you, you mentioned different styles. You have sketching, you have plein air, and uh, I know you've, you've done different mediums as well, but it is watercolor that, what, that you do right now. In terms of style, how did you come up with the style that you have right now? I know it took years, of course, to be able to find oh, and arrive to that. Oh, I love it. <laughs> But how you, yeah, can you take us through that journey of playing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was writing notes to myself on that very, very okay. topic. You're, you're right on cue. Mm -hmm. Gosh, people say to me all the time, you know, style, you know, how do I know my style? And I was thinking, wow. Good question. Yeah. 
and the re I realized I had a style when the day some somebody said to me, I can always recognize your work by the way you handle light. And I thought, that's my style. You, you know, you just have to keep painting. And and I don't want to have this come across as wrong hmm. because I, I want to be very, very careful. Is that there is so much beautiful work out there, right? And you know, with social media and Instagram and Facebook, we're just being fed all of this stuff all day long. And I think it kind of pollutes our thinking. Okay, we do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're not settling down. And if you want to find your style, you have to paint. And what do you have to paint? Find that thing that you absolutely love. That thing can be what was for me that got me recognized was old trucks. My thing was old abandoned trucks. Now you look at me and you think, well, what was that about? Mm -hmm. People started, they didn't know why I would paint old trucks. But the truth is I was painting an old truck because a truck came into my life when I was going through a very, very big loss and I lost the heart to paint. And my husband knew that I loved these old classic trucks and he got me one. And I, I fell in love with this truck. And the reason I fell in love with it is that I started looking around and I noticed that it was its dents, its dings, things that happened to it in its life or its storyline. Hmm. And it was those things that made it um something to tell it, it had a story behind it instead of just looking at shiny chrome and all these really beautiful stuff and i started to see in myself that it was these flaws that made me who i am today not something ugly but something of beauty with character lines so i didn't realize it but when i started painting these trucks people started recognizing my style number one my subject matter was mine Okay, and the way that I was painting it, the way that I handled color and light. Find, so if you want to find your style, find something you love and paint it and paint it and paint it over and over again. I must have done over 22 paintings of these trucks. Wow. Some of them were 52 inches long. I mean, they were rolls of watercolor paper. Yeah. And I just painted them until I knew everything about them. And people could tell that it wasn't just about a broken down truck. I was in love with that, those trucks and people can read that. Hmm. Okay. So whether you love painting landscapes, you love painting your family, you love painting still lifes. If you paint something you love, you will get to know it inside and out, up and down. Hmm. And then once you know your subject matter, that is when you can really start pushing design, color, all of that stuff. Find something you love. Paint it, paint it, paint it. Now, the other side of that is, as I was talking about, we're seeing all these images that are coming through Facebook and Instagram. And I mean, it's a blessing. You know, during the pandemic, that was my lifeline. It, I mean, really meant a lot to me. But people have to be careful because 
the, how, I want to explain this very clearly because I don't want to, I don't want to say that it's bad. Okay, you can hear somebody sing just like Celine Dion, okay? Mm-hmm. And it makes something happen. Or you hear the voice of Sean Connery and that resonates that deepness. You can feel it in your chest. Mm-hmm. You listen to an impersonator do it and it's kind of charming for five minutes, but you know it's not the real deal, okay? So okay. when you're learning your craft and you're studying with one of these wonderful painters out there, in a way, you're just being an impersonator. You have to find your voice. They have, those are their voices. That's Celine Dion's voice. That's Sean Connery's voice. Mm-hmm. That voice is how you'll be recognized. Mine was trucks. Mine was light. So that's how you find your style. Very well said. And I, I, I was actually, one of the questions that I have is about trucks because I, yeah. I've seen that. So yeah, you're also right on cue when you mentioned about how you transition to trucks and how trucks change the way that you do art. And specifically, specifically when you said that you have to paint what you love, it's a, it's a very good starting point. And then you mentioned how many did you, and then huge paintings, right, of trucks. Also, the symbolism of, yeah. you know, the story behind the dents, the rust, you know. Um, in the video that I've seen, you talked about trucks. I love how you, it's so visually pleasing to hear you talk about trucks and how you morph them into an art piece. Like every side of it has a story. And when you, related to your experience that they are these are not flaws that these are stories which add up to your character lines I love it's so beautiful and it's so powerful that I'm glad that you brought it up as you shared about finding yourself because merging those two together it's more than just finding yourself but embracing the stories and everything that you have gone through. So thank you for, for sharing that, Brenda. You mentioned light and the way that people recognize your work because of light. In one of the videos that I've watched uh, with you on it, and you talked about how you would stand in and observe for 20 minutes, just watch light, touch the subjects, like the leaves, the trees, and it's it it fascinates me that you are taking that time to really observe. Can you take us through how you start, especially with plein air, your yeah. process when when you do that? Aside from sitting in and observing for wow, twenty minutes. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> just walk around and well, and that's. I'm lucky that I live in an area of Southern California that has nice weather year round. It's kind of hot right now, but it's, it's nice. And walking on a daily basis is a big part of what I do Mm. to look at light, to look at what's happening, look at the shape of the shadows, look at the color of the shadows. Okay. So when I'm getting ready to paint and I show up on location, There's many things I'm looking at. A lot of people will sit down because her friend is sitting down right there. That might not be the best reason, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, It's always good to have a buddy, but what resonates with your friend may not be what speaks to your heart, okay? So we're back to, again, paint what you love, okay? And for me, it's the shape of the light Mm -hmm. and the shape of the shadows, 
what's happening. So I'll walk around and I'll think, okay, I know it's going to take me, let's say, 20 minutes to draw this. The light might not be perfect right now, mm -hmm. but if I'm looking at where the sun is moving through the sky in 20 minutes, it might be perfect and I can have my drawing done by then. So I'm looking at the light, where's the light right now? And if I don't have an umbrella, which I don't like to carry umbrellas and I'm, I don't want all that stuff, okay? That I'm gonna think, okay, am I gonna be in full sun in 20 minutes? Because that's not gonna be good. I'm gonna be too uncomfortable. I usually sketch between nine and 12. That's, those are my favorite hours, okay? Not that I'll sketch for three hours, but those are my favorite. Those are the sweet hours to me. Mm -hmm. So I'll walk around. I'll be looking at where is the light? Where is it moving? Where can I sit? And what will my subject matter look like in 20 minutes? That's what I'm after. Wow. <laughs> Like what I said, I'm really fascinated with your process, especially when you talk about light. And I think in that video, you also mentioned that light carries color. Yes. And I was like, wow, that is so refreshing to, to hear you talk about light in that manner. Why does it carry color? Would, would you care to expand? Oh it bounces. It carries. Mm. And so if you have, let's say, uh -huh. <laughs> okay. Grocery stores around here are generally white. Okay, we can say pavilions or vons just for a generic name, but it's sitting in a gray parking lot. Okay, mm -hmm. it's not going to bounce any color on the side of it when the light hits. It's gray. So your shadows are going to be eh, kind of lackluster. Mm -hmm. But if you have a white house and it's sitting on green grass, you're not going to see gray underneath the eaves you are going to see the bounce color being carried up into that and it's anything but gray okay so i'm always looking at what are the colors around what what and even if it's just slight you know it's okay to lie a little bit okay <laughs> you see a little color push it some more and so i'm looking to see what is the color what that will be carried what is the shape of the shadows okay Cast shadows are hard edges, form shadows are soft edges. And so I'm trying to look at the subject matter and I literally trace with my eye, where is it going to be in hard edge to go into a soft? How is it going to move back up? And sometimes you need to stretch a shadow to link them together because one after another looks like piecemeal. It doesn't hold together. You can link shadows together. You can hold a painting together. So I'm, shadows will do your work. Those okay. are really good points. Those are really good points. Thank you. Thank you, Brenda. Wow. Never really thought yeah. of, I mean, I've heard artists talk about light and different manners and how important it is. And when you talk about- Light reveals shadow. form, mm -hmm. color, and texture. Without okay. light, you have none of them. Okay. okay. It, is, it is magic. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> love it love it yes i can't live in a gray community you know i need <laughs> light and color, light I, and color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. okay yeah. speaking of of your process right i know for a lot of our listeners most of them are hobbyists and beginners mm -hmm. yes what would you say i mean you've been doing this for a really long time and not to sound that you're dated right but i mean <laughs> 
<laughs> but you've been doing yeah. this. I mean, you've ex- your, your experience, you have done classes, you have done exhibits. But if you are to talk to your younger self when you yeah. were starting out, what would you say, uh, and to our audience as well, who's starting out or probably in defense of too scared to even start on a blank sheet of paper? Well, the thing is, we all start at the same place, okay? So I started there too. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid of being where you're at because that's where everybody begins, okay? Some people may have had a little more education in school. Some people come into it completely just out of left field. You know, all of a sudden the kids are in school and now they have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the education. So the thing is, do it because you love it. Okay, don't compare yourself to others. Okay, because you're comparing your insides to their outsides and they're not going to match up. Okay, we all come from a different background. Mm-hmm. Enjoy the process. It's all about the process. And the thing is, people ask me, what is my favorite part of a painting? And it's being in it, not being done, not starting, being mm-hmm. right in the middle. Enjoy the process because when it's over, you're just going to do another. Enjoy the process. Okay. Um, for those who are new to it, start simply. Don't, don't expect, if we're talking watercolor, to do a full sheet painting because you're going to get disappointed and you're going to think, you know, I'm no good. I can't do this. Create little jewels. Lots and lots and lots of little jewels. Little jewels might be four by six, five by seven, eight by 10. You know, you work in a size that you're comfortable with. Um, Robert Jen said, it's better to have a small diamond than a large piece of glass. Little jewels, that's, so, you know, even when I go outdoors to paint, rarely would I ever use an easel, rarely. Only when I'm in a plain air competition would I put up an easel, mm-hmm. okay? Um, I prefer having a sketchbook in my lap, mm-hmm. you know? I'm comfortable, I'm sitting there. Um, if somebody comes walking up and I don't feel like sharing, I can put my thumb in the sketchbook and the sketchbook shuts and I don't have to share, okay? You have a sense of privacy because mm-hmm. in every sketch that you're in, there's gonna be a really awkward point. You don't want anybody to look at it. They're, they all have that, okay? <laughs> when you have an easel, it's like it's a white sail that everybody's saying, come look at me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like to do that, okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. So on location, I would say 98% of the time, I'm working in a sketchbook, okay? I, I love them. Um, and I su- even suggest, especially for beginners, to have a sketchbook. Mm-hmm. Have a good sketchbook. What they will do is that they will start, you'll start to see growth happening through these books. Instead of all these loose pieces of paper floating around in drawers, under the bed, and, and who knows where, trunk <laughs> of the car, you get a lot of paper going, okay? But if you start to look at these sketchbooks over time, you can really look back and you can see your progress. That will give you satisfaction. All of my books are dated and they are numbered. And 
You probably can't you can just turn you a little bit, but right over here off to my shoulder right there is a large case that has all my sketchbooks. They are my treasures. Okay. Um, my paintings, and I don't want to get too far off, but my paintings have a purpose to go out into the world and live their own lives in somebody's house and exhibits. The sketching I do for me. Okay. And I really want your listeners to think about that how important it is to do it for you, not to perform to somebody else's expectation, not to decorate your sister's wall, not to get your mother's approval. This is what you do for you. Okay. Um, that's where you grow. And so if you want to get better, little jewels, paint for yourself and paint what you love. You don't need expensive supplies, but you need, that's what I can say is that you don't need expensive of supplies that you need every paint that's out there you need every pens that's out there you have a couple good brushes a couple good pens a pencil i mean it can be very small you mm -hmm. don't need it all i mean i've got this lovely space and i love it okay i fill it full of all my stuff and i love my art supplies but some of my best paintings have happened outdoors when all i everything i have is in a little bag mm. and that's it's not your supplies, it's what's happening up here in your head that make a great painting. Beautifully said. And wow, those are really good and golden nuggets, Brenda. <laughs> uh, especially starting, I mean, two things as well that I pick up, uh, being in the moment, enjoying the process. And starting with a sketchbook. I mean, for, for a seasonal artist such as yourself, I would imagine that you have like canvases and that you always paint these huge paintings. But hearing you talk about how many sketchbooks that you're showing us in, in your shelves, how many sketchbooks you have and the ability to go from different places with just your sketchbook, that is empowering for someone who is starting and a beginner that you, you don't need to have a lot of supplies. You can just pick up your sketchbook and just fill it fill it out and paint your heart out. So thank you for thank emphasizing you. that. I, I think it's really powerful to hear it from someone who has been doing this for a really long time that you, you, start, you started from the exact same place that they are right now. And look at where you are now. I mean, sharing this, this your experience and knowledge with the rest of the world who um, inspiring them to make more art. Now, I know that you, you said that you've been teaching for a really long time, and recently you shared the, the Art of Illustrated Journal. Would you like to talk a little bit about that, Brenda? I'm interested because I know you, you mentioned earlier that it's important for you to have like this face-to-face -face interaction, that human connection when you teach, but this is a different take on teaching. So can you share a little bit more about the Art of Illustrated Journal? Yeah, the... Um... The course that I just did um, as through Go uh, Terracotta. The Illustrated Journal is extremely personal. Um, they are, whenever you put the written word with an image, it's just a little bit more personal, okay? Um, what I found when I first started traveling is that often I would do a sketch, then I have like a little paragraph beneath, right? Next page, do another sketch, little yeah. paragraph beneath. 
And then I started to find that art and words create a bigger form of art together. Mm. That when the image alone doesn't tell the entire story, when you add words, all of a sudden you have a bigger story that didn't exist before. Sometimes we need those words. So taking the words, but now making them an art form, okay? Not that all this kind of calligraphic, gorgeous mm. writing, because it's not. I mean, it's not. <laughs> but it can be design, okay, where you or maybe the, there's a main header on the page that will be large, and then that there's smaller writing. And the reason that I, I talk about that is that words become page design and balance, mm -hmm. okay? Where a page, where maybe you have a big image here and you've gone across a page, and you realize that your page isn't holding together very well. It's too lopsided off to one side. You can fill it with writing over here and all of a sudden the entire page now has a good design and balance to it. So you use them to kind of accent each other mm. to tell a bigger story. Um, sometimes these illustrated journals are more of a personal reflection in our lives that we're trying to process something mm. that's happened or something that we're going through. And it becomes a place of healing. You know, when, when I can take something out of here and I can put it onto a page, I release it for myself. Okay. okay. I may carry that burden again, but for that period of time, it is released. And mm -hmm. so I use these books as a way to process life, to process grief, the highs, the lows. That's what life is. It's, um, it's never all one or the other, hopefully. Right. Um, and that also I use them as a way to record when I travel, you know, it's mm -hmm. to, to put more than just the name of the building. I, I want to have an experience. And when you interject words into the writing that talk about our senses, not only what you saw because you've drawn it, mm -hmm. now you're going to talk about what did I smell? Yeah. What did I hear? What did I feel? Was the sun on my back? Could I hear... You know, people talking in French off in the corner. Was there baguettes being baked in a store that's nearby me? And whenever you write down things that include senses, you will return to that moment quicker than you ever can from a photograph. You are there. Especially smell and taste. Those are the strongest direct links to our memory bank of all of our senses. Stronger than vision. Mm -hmm. Okay, so writing things about our senses, and they are really kind of an important part. So, you know, I like to use these, this course as a way to be able to talk about this, because I know some people, because they can't travel, they don't want to travel, or they have issues that they physically they can't, okay? Mm -hmm. But at least I'm, I'm providing something on an educational level that's available to everybody. You know, some will be in my workshops, some will be in my workshops and have a video, but it's nice that I've been able to kind of reach out in a way that I wasn't before. And I knew that this, this whole thing in the Illustrated Journal would be very personal and I had to be in the right place in my life. Not that I was, I wasn't going into anything deep during this. I'm talking more about technique, mm -hmm. but you know. I kind of got to be at a good place. You know, I don't want to be at an emotional level. <laughs> you know? yes. 
So this course is available on your website or is it available on Terracotta? You can, if you go to my website, Mm-hmm. You should just underneath DVDs and videos, you can find a direct link. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I love your website as well. Uh, there's so many things, a lot of things that you can get there. If uh, that the video that we talked about earlier from nine years ago, I believe, was on there as well. And I I learned so much about you by just going through your website. So we will definitely include that. And if you want to access the Art of Illustrating Journal, we can include that link into the description box of this episode referencing back to for someone who's starting out you know Mm -hmm. I I know you mentioned about not having not purchasing like expensive supplies but if you are to pick supplies that you need for watercolor what will be your go-to or your recommendation well when it when it comes to paint it's better to have fewer colors of Mm. good quality Okay. Um, I'm a Daniel Smith brand ambassador. So, you know, that those are my preferred paints. Mm-hmm. Um, on my website, I do list paints for negative painting or sketching or so they are there. There's a drop down. You can see it. Um, but it's just the typical, the two reds, the two blues, the two yellows and then gray. You know, if you're having to use limited. Okay. Mm-hmm. Normally I have 18 colors in my palette. I love it all. Okay. Um, but you can find, even Daniel Smith has little starter palettes. Winsor Newton has it too. You can find simple little starter ones. I do recommend that you stay away from student grade. Oh, okay. Student grade paints, um, Winsor Newton is the Cotman, okay? Just because there's a lot of white in those. Mm-hmm. And I'm predominantly a transparent painter. For one reason, white's gets you into trouble. Okay, the opaque colors. Once you learn how to handle them, you're good. But in the beginning, I would not recommend that you keep a lot of opaques on your palette. Okay. Um, As far as palettes go, you can find very reasonable palettes that are not expensive. Okay. Just a few very inexpensive is like this little heritage one. Mm. Love it. They're, They're not expensive at all. Nice little palette. Lightweight. And you'll notice down here that I put bead trays in there. I like puddles. Mm-hmm. I like big puddles of paint. So inexpensive, lightweight, keeps your paints nice and dry. Another fun little one is when you really want to go small is the one by the uh, art tool kit where I have all full pans here. I went even further and I took it and I created, so I have all of the colors I want and these are where I can create puddles. Mm-hmm. So I have the pans for the puddles. I can do a lot with this palette. In fact, I'll show you the sketchbook of some of the works I've done with this. Okay. So it's very small. I, when I get done painting, I just put it into a Ziploc bag and it takes up no space at all. It's like a makeup palette, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen people actually take little shadow uh-huh. Little containers have shadows in there. Take all the shadow out and put paint and in there. Did. Oh, <laughs> that is that is a that's a brilliant idea. You have a red, blue, and a yellow and a gray. You've got everything you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so right. I actually have one. Um, when it comes to pens, I would get a waterproof pen, and then maybe a water soluble like a Tombow, so it moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a pencil. You know, you don't need a lot. Literally, 
all of my pens and pencils and brushes are in here. Okay. So you don't, you don't need a whole lot, a couple erasers, but once again, you go to my website and I have it all listed there, but it doesn't take a whole, I mean, it's just very, very simple. When it comes to brushes, you need to have a flat. It doesn't have to be a large one. I go between synthetics and natural hair brushes. Okay. So, and this is just a little selection of brushes I keep oh. in that little pouch. Okay. So it doesn't take very much. Um, a small, medium, and large. Large being maybe a 10 or a 12. If you are new, maybe a 12 is going to be too big. That's okay. One place that I splurge that nobody else needs to <laughs> is fountain <laughs> pens. I have an obsession with fountain pens. You don't need a fountain pen. It's it's not the pen, it's the person behind it. Okay. It's <laughs> fun. But some women spend money on shoes. I spend money on fountain pens. I love to pick them up when I travel. I go to antique shops. I have them revamped. I love them. Okay. Um, when it comes to sketchbooks, I'm going to show you three different ones. This is just a Stillman and Burn 8 by 10. I I call these illustrated journals. Oh. Because these will have the writing and the travel and all that right. fun stuff. I so, like that you're using both sides. And for, yes. for like, I just love it when you open it and it's full. Yeah. Yeah, because it and this book it becomes eight by sixteen. Mm. It that way, and it's fun to just record multiple images in one place. So I use these when I teach, when I travel. There's a lot of writing that goes on in these pages. Okay, it, it, it looks like a storybook. Yeah, yeah, like storybook. Yeah, and it's fun because like through through the trip, you know. The story's kind of revealed from beginning to end. Right. So kind of fun. Um, the second one is a book that I make, and I make it with watercolor paper, 140 pound. And then there's also, I put pastel paper in the front of it. Mm. Okay. And then there's traditional. These books will not have any writing in them. Oh. These are my plein air books. So... When I, um, yeah, well, I did say Samuel and Capistrano there, but this is a sketch collage of multiple scenes mm -hmm. one day. So there, and then the final one here was the one I referred to a minute ago. This is the Etcher Perfect mm -hmm. Sketchbook. And that little palette that you saw me use. Oh, wow. So this is building near my house and so you can do a lot with a little palette okay so that's pasadena city hall mm -hmm. and these are um two there's another building near my house the court of appeals and then the bridge excuse me and um some more of the flowers that were in the area there so the, the sketchbook is just really um show you one more page in here yeah where you'll see a lot more writing in these books in fact this is the demo that i did in the the recent video we were talking about uh -huh. okay but one thing i want to kind of also share when we're talking about 
is that okay, you can see this is something that I'm fascinated with, and they're the Matilla hop poppies, and they're very common here in Southern California. Mm -hmm. This is a study, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yesterday was the completion of this painting. Oh, that was boy. from that. So that's a that's a half a sheet watercolor. So if you are listening of this episode from Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you want to see this beautiful paintings and all the sketchbooks that Brenda has shown, better check out the YouTube the YouTube video of this episode because you will definitely love all the paintings and you will definitely get a lot from her sketchbooks. I feel like I would want to own one of your sketchbooks as it feels like I'm reading through a story and like yeah. going through the places that you've been to. And you talked about that earlier when you said that you're there like it, it the, the memory right uh when you look at a painting it's more than it's it speaks more volumes than just looking at a photograph it brings you right into that scene yeah the and you know people that. make comments about you know it, is it hard to get rid of your paintings and what they don't realize is that every painting happens in the sketchbook first i always have the original Oh. Okay, so and it's like I can do paintings again, but the original is there in those sketchbooks. That's where my real skill has been developed. So I, I can't emphasize sketching enough. Now, before we wrap up, um, Brenda, I know you you talked about art in, in a sense that it's it sort of completes you. It's your safe place. It's it's something that is it's your voice. In that video that I've seen nine years ago, you talked about art and it's really beautiful. So I guess I would like to throw in that question again. What is art for you and how has it influenced your life all these years? Oh, geez. End, end on an easy question. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's how I process life. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, I don't mean that I'm, I feel deeper than other people on this earth. I don't mean that at all, but I think creative people have a tendency to feel the highs higher and the lows lower. Hmm. And it's a way to kind of process, especially this very difficult time that we've gone through. Okay. It didn't make sense to any of us, this situation that we're put in. And the illustrated journals became very, very prominent during that time. Um, art, whether it's an illustrated journal, whether I'm plain air sketching or whether I'm painting, it is a way for my voice to go out into the world where maybe I am not, okay? Um, even just on different social media platforms, people know who I am by my images, okay? It, that is me. And I want to be very careful about the me that I put out there in the world. There are some things that we create that we have to create because we need to, mm -hmm. that we need to. It's, it's just a very difficult thing in our lives. And I don't feel that we have to share everything we create. You know, some things we create for us and other things we create to share with the world. And I, I'm, I'm selective what I put out there. Okay. Uh, there's enough ugliness in the world. We don't need to add to it. Okay. Thank you yeah. so much, Brenda. Oh my God, you have given us so much and just 
well, how many minutes of your time? Thank you for being so generous with your knowledge, with your wisdom and all those golden nuggets. We've talked a lot about a lot of topics in this episode. And like what I said, I can listen to you all day talk about your journey. Um, I'm sure this won't be the last time that we'll be speaking. I'll be, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to read through your website and watch out what you're going to do next. Uh, thank you so much for being on Make More Art and for agreeing to do this interview with me. I learned so much from you and I'm sure our audience and those who will be subscribing to your classes will definitely learn a lot from you too. Thank you, Jesse. It's been a joy. You've asked great questions. This has been a really uh, fun time shared together. Thank you so much. Enjoy your day. I know you have plans for the rest of the day so take care of yourself and I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you so much, Brenda. As I was listening to Brenda talk about art and how her old trucks became her North Star defining her creative voice, I start to wonder, what is it that I really love to paint, to do, and to create? I believe that this is a question that we should all be asking ourselves. So let's take on the challenge and answer this question. Do share with us your answers through the comments associated with this podcast at etrolab.com slash Brenda.